Every, every uh, day, we use these things called our tongues. Everybody has one? Does anybody not have a tongue? If you need a tongue, raise your hand. Uh, we all have these tongues. Yeah, Toshio's showing us his tongue. And um, with our tongues, we form these um, sounds. And uh, uh, we put these sounds together, and they create meaning in some way. We, we, we attach meaning with various sounds in our minds. And then we call this words. Word. Words. Right? We call these words. Um, and we give these sounds names like vowels and consonants and an alphabet. We use these words. And uh, the crazy thing about words is they have power to build up nations they have power to declare war on other nations. These words have power to sway and convince entire populations that genocide is justice. Uh, they have the power to sway and convince that true strength is, is weakness. They have the power to take someone who's down and encourage them and lift them up out of despair and change their thought process and the way that they live their life. But they also have the power to destroy. To destroy a man or a woman to the point where they feel worthless. That there, there's nothing they can do good with their, with their life. Words are powerful, aren't they? Martin Luther King Jr., on one hand, used words to convey a dream and to change the course of generations to come, while on the flip side, you've got dudes like Adolf Hitler using words to convince a generation, a young generation, that his evil regime is the right way to go. Words are extremely powerful. Why are you the way you are? Think of your challenges in life. Think of your successes. Why are you the way you are? If you're like me, you can probably point back to a few words that were said at one time. Maybe it was a loved one or a relative who looked at you and said, you are worthless. You'll never amount to anything. And that haunts, it, it, it's, it sticks in your head. You can't get it out. It drives the way you think. It drives what you do. Or maybe there was a, a teacher who came along one day and said, I believe in you. You can do this. You can solve this problem. And that changed, that changed, changed the course of your life. Words have power. As, as uh, Christians, as people of Jesus... We are to be people who live lives that are changed. That's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks in James. Our, our actions matching up with our beliefs. This is what James is talking about. And here in chapter 3, James turns this and he looks at words. Our words should be different. Our conversation, the way we talk, should be different than the world around us as Christians. So that's where we're going this morning. In James chapter 3, we're talking about this extremely powerful tool that we have, which we call words. Um, let's go ahead and start with some prayer and ask God to convict us and open us up this morning.
Lord, I, I do ask that you move in our hearts. Uh, as I speak words, uh, we recognize that they are only sounds. Um, and it's, it's only when your, your spirit takes these sounds and uh, um, does something in our hearts in a way that uh, the words in and of themselves can't do. Uh, and opens us up and convicts us and draws us into, this, into something deeper than ourselves. Uh, it's only then that there's power. And so we do ask that these uh, words that we read from the scriptures this morning, the words that I speak, are not uh, my own ideas, uh, but we ask that they, are, uh, they have supernatural power in our lives in the way that your spirit moves in this room this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. James chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1 and just work our way through the whole chapter this morning. Not many of you should become teachers, he says. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, it's kind of funny for a preacher to be preaching this passage, right? Um, he is giving a very strong warning to those of us who use many words, to those of us who stand regularly in front of a crowd, in front of a group of people, and, and uh, talk, we use words. Um, and in this, he says, it gives us this warning. Not many of you should be teachers. Now let's just let that sit with us, all right? Let's imagine James was, James was here right now looking at us, and he said, not many of you should be teachers. If there's any place, he might say, in Christian ministry where we need to use discretion and discernment, it's, it's, within, it's, it's with this ministry of teaching. Now, we know in Corinthians, Paul talks about teaching as this gift. Teaching is not just for some elite class within the Christian world, but it's something that's available for all Christians. Yet at the same time, James is sort of um, attacking this over-eager uh, general assumption that, that teaching is just everybody's right and we can just get up and spout off any idea that we have. And James is looking at us and James as a teacher is saying not many of you should be teachers. Um, and then in verse 2 James begins to un unpack this. So let's look at that. And I, I think this verse 2, it's almost sarcastic, all right? So let's read this as sarcasm. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If, if anybody doesn't stumble in what he says, so if we can control our words, if we can control our tongue and speak without stumbling, he's like, you guys, you're perfect. If you can control your tongue, then you can control every other aspect of your life. You are perfect. But we all stumble in many ways, he says, including himself. We all stumble in many ways. The challenge is in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. We can tame, name an animal, tigers? What? A shark? Can we tame a shark? Cheetahs? You can pet a cheetah. You can tame a cheetah. 
Uh, pythons, I got a friend in the neighborhood here. He comes to the church some. He's, you know, snakes. We call him snakes because uh, he's got pythons as his pets. Crazy. Uh, we can stick our heads in the lion's mouths. You guys do that? Right? I've seen it done. What's that? Killer whales? Yeah. Shamu. Right? We can tame killer whales. Um, we can tame the craziest beasts, the wild animals. We figured it out. But he's saying nobody, no man, no human, has yet to figure out how to tame the tongue. It has killed more lives. It has destroyed more people than any wild beast. And that's the one thing that we've yet to figure out how to tame. The tongue. And then it kind of gets scary. All right. Verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, set, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Here's the scary part, all right? The tongue has power. We stumble in many ways. We are often going to stumble with our tongue, and, and our tongue is a wild beast. We haven't figured out how to tame it, and our tongue has a ridiculous amount of power. A little bit, a little piece of metal, you stick it in a horse's mouth. Any, has anybody ever ridden a horse? Any horse people? More than I thought. Wow, okay. Uh, you stick it in a horse's mouth, and you kind of go like this on the reins, and what happens to the horse? The whole thing, the whole, I mean, this beast, it's a big, horses are large. And you, you can move the entire, you can control this massive beast with this little itty-bitty piece of metal. Or a rudder of a ship is the other example he uses. Take a piece of wood and, and, and uh, place it at the right part of a, of a massive ship and turn it and you can turn the entire ship. You can control this huge vessel with this one little piece. Take the tongue, for example. You, he says you can change the course of a life, setting on fire the entire course of a life. Another way to translate that is the cycle of birth. From birth on, you can change someone's life for the better or for the worse. With this little bit, with this rudder, with this tongue. It has that kind of power. Now, if it has that kind of power, and more often than not, we stumble. James says we stumble in many ways. Then what does that mean? There's a lot of chaos around us. A lot of herd around us. Because of this little rudder, <clears throat> this little tool that we have. It has that kind of power and we stumble all 
the time. It, it has the power to shift the course of someone's life. And we stumble all the time. And it's it, the way James writes about it, he says it's, it's like a forest fire. A forest fire begins small, right? Remember, remember uh, I think it was Bambi? Uh, it's, all, all, everything I know about forest fires <laughs> comes from Bambi. And it was like one little campfire. And it set the entire fire, uh, forest ablaze, right? And uh, Bambi escaped, thankfully. <laughs> but one little fire, one little flame, and it sets the entire forest ablaze. And he was like, this is what a word can do. One little word, and it can, it can fire up a life. It can change the course of a life from birth on, set a life on fire. And this isn't a good fire. This isn't like, oh, yeah, the fire of God. No, this is the fire, he says, that comes from hell. It's a destructive, destroying, just ugly fire. And it can start with this one little flame, one little word. That kind of power used in a wrong way, in a, in a way that's perverted, in a way that's destructive. And I want to I suggest this. Um, in our culture today, 20, 21st century American culture, I want to suggest that we are more susceptible to the damage that words bring than maybe any other any other culture before us, any other time before us. We are more likely to, to uh, be set on fire with the fires of hell uh, as a result of the way we use our words. For three reasons, if you want to take notes, three problems that I, that I see that, that allow us to really do some damage. And that is, number one, we use words constantly. Number two, our words are driven not by careful thought, but rather emotions. And number three, our culture is not conducive to words. Number one, we talk constantly. Amen? Amen. Everybody has a word to say. Everybody's got something to say. Everybody's got an idea. I think this is probably, it probably has something to do with our individualism. That we all, we all have, we're all individuals and we all have an idea to share, which is good. Um, but then what happens is, we, I mean, we, we, all have, we, all, we all have something to say. Throw out a question and you're going to get answers fired right back at you. Just thoughts. There's a lot of talking going on. Blogs. Um, websites. Radio. You name it. There are, there are words everywhere. We use words constantly. And then we read something like uh, James 1.19 where he says, be slow to speak. And we almost laugh. Like, what does that even mean? Be slow to speak? You mean, like, actually think before I talk? <laughs> to actually not say some things? That's, that's, that's hard. We use words constantly. We receive an email. And what do we do? We fire, fire an email right back. Bam. Constant, just communication, back and forth. We receive a text message. And now there's text messaging etiquette. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you get a text message, can you wait to reply? 
No, you have to reply right away. Because otherwise, they're going to think you're upset with him. They're going to wonder why you haven't replied. I sent him a text message five minutes ago, and he hasn't yet responded. Now even, I, I, I've, I've got this iPhone now, and on your iPhone, you can tell if someone opened up your text message or not. This is like sneaking, you know? I'm like, I send you a text message, and I'm just watching to see when you open it. And I know when you opened it, and I know you haven't yet responded to me, all right? But see, this is like our weird etiquette that we build. It says like constant communication back and forth. We get something, we, and we don't even think about it. We type as fast as our thumbs will go, and we fire back uh, another thought, another idea. Emailing, uh, text messaging. I would probably throw Facebook into this. We might chat about Facebook in just a little bit. But these immediate, unthought responses. Just bam. Plenty of words to say. Words, words everywhere. Uh, there are more divisions and personal wars uh, that come out of emails and text messaging than probably any other venue. Right? Right? I mean, am I off here? I see it all the time. And then we end up on the phone. We finally make a phone call and we hold the phone like this. Have you ever, have you ever done this? Like you hold the phone right here <laughs> and you scream. You know? So because we don't actually want to put it here because then we have to hear words. We don't want to hear words. We want to, we want to give words. And the other person, on the other line, they're doing this as well. You know? And we're just screaming at each other. All right? Divisions, wars. I mean, that's, that's our culture all around us. So we have plenty of words to say. The second problem is that our words are driven not by careful thought, but by our emotions. The, the words that we say, the, the, the responses that we give, are not responses that we've really thought through. We don't think about it. Um, we, we don't carefully evaluate our responses with scripture or with pastoral wisdom or with Christian community around us. We have feelings at the very center of our um, decisions. Feelings are our number one authority. That's where the buck stops. So if I'm feeling this way about the text you just sent me or the email about what you just said to me or about what I'm seeing, whatever it is, if I'm feeling this way, that's my authority and I'm going to speak based on, based on my feelings, based on my authority. Words constantly and those words come based not out of careful thought, they come based out of feelings. And then the third problem is we live in a culture that is not conducive to words. Or we live in a culture, another way to put it, that, that doesn't understand words. We don't listen. We don't, we don't live in a culture that listens. I mean, we grew up on TV, right? We're latchkey kids. We, we grew up with visuals all around us. We didn't grow up listening to stories being read. You know, there was once, once a time where children would huddle up around the family radio and they would actually listen for like an hour to a story over the radio. Isn't this strange? Like this actually happened. My mom used to tell me about it. Like there was a time that we would actually listen. We could listen. We had the ability to. And we could, we could think about the words that we're hearing and we could process them. All right, there was, there was a time that we would actually open up books and we would read books. From, from one cover to the other cover. We would read. 
But see, we live in a culture, and I don't say all this to like make us feel dumb. But I just want to say this is the reality of sort of the world around us is we live in a culture that doesn't get words. We're not, we don't live in a culture that's conducive to the word, to sentences. To, I mean, how many of you have already tuned me out in my sermon? <laughs> all right? You've got, yeah, it's, you've got a two-minute attention span. If it's not a two-minute sermon, I'm out, right? Um, how many of us can sit and listen to a lecture for an hour and actually be engaged the entire time? Or, or a 20-minute presentation and, and actually hear what's being said and, and take the instructions? Or how many, how many of us have read a book in the last year, you know? And again, I don't say this to make us feel bad. But the reality is this, is we use a whole lot more words than we listen to. What that, this is why we argue when, when, when we're, we're yelling on the phone. This is why we argue like this instead of like this. Because we're, we don't want to hear the words. We just want to speak the words. We're quick to speak. We're driven by our emotions. And we don't want to listen. And sometimes I wonder how much we really even know how to listen. How to think about what's being said. How to process that. How to let that sit with you. So is James warning then for us not extremely appropriate? This, this picture that he gives of a, of a uh, fire, of a forest fire being set ablaze from one little, one little forest or one little fire. Is that not an appropriate picture for our culture? Is it not appropriate to suggest that we live in a, in a world where uh, there, there, there is mu much potential uh, for damage based on words, based on our tongue. Everybody stick your tongue out. Just kidding. Based on that little guy inside your mouth. The damage that, that he or she can do. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. <laughs> I know my tongue is a dude. The damage that our, that our words can do is, is real. Look at verse 15. He says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly. It's material. It's, it's, a, it's wisdom. It's driven by our uh, lust and our, our desires. It's, it's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's, it's man's ideas. It's our ideas. It's, not the, it's wisdom. It's knowledge that isn't God's ideas. Um, it is demonic. What better tool does Satan have than to influence us in the way we use our words, in our communication, to destroy lives? The wisdom that comes down from above, or it is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. It creates disorder. It creates wars, divisions, personal wars, vile, disorder, vile practices. I don't think I have to uh, speak any more words to convince you that words can be destructive. Right? Have we got it? So the question then becomes for us, 
when the unbelieving world peeks over our shoulders and looks in to Christian community, what do they see? They should see something radically different. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. What, what he's saying here is simply this. Lest we believe that our words are only destructive if they are mean or vile or, or wrong. Um, what he's saying is, is if, if uh, you are not legit, if what's in you is not real, it's not authentic, it's not of God, then keep your mouth closed. Don't boast of these things if that's not who you are. See, just as destructive as, as uh, what we might call a, a, a mean, mean word, uh, just as destructive are good words, scriptural words, said from someone who is living a vile life. See, we can work so hard to, to be people that, that watch our language and, and we're not going to destroy people through using words that are evil or corrupt or degrading. Yet so often what we do is we clean the outside of the cup and we speak well and we say nice things and we always want to quickly open up the scriptures and teach something from the Bible. Yet our lives, if we are really honest with ourselves, our life, life is evil, corrupt, it's degrading, it's vile, it's dark. So how then should we communicate? Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And the NIV says by, by the peacemakers. So how then should we communicate? What kind of people should we be as the unbelieving world then who lives in this world of, of where, where words are so often uh, Agents of destruction, of pain, of hurt. And they peek in and they, they, they see the Christian life being lived out. What should they see? How should we be communicating? What kind of people should we be? And in a word, we are to be peacemakers. Our language does not create divisions and personal wars, but rather it brings peace. Where there is perversion... And there is vile talk. We are people who use words to bring purity. Where there is division, our words bring reconciliation. 
where there is hostile, where there are hostile attitudes, our words bring a gentle hush. Where there is falsehood, bigotry, and lies, our words come with reason. Where there is hurt, loss, hatred, our words are full of mercy and good fruits. Where there is favoritism and prejudice, our words bring righteousness, unity, and sincerity. In a world of division, in a world of hatred, in a world of wars all around us, and I'm not talking about nations going to war, but personal wars on the sidewalk. In this kind of world, we are to be peacemakers. We are to use this tool that we have, this tongue that we have, these sounds that we can create and the meaning that's attached to them. We are to use that to make peace. Now think about how countercultural this is. Think about it. It's, it's, it's extremely counterculture, countercultural in our world. For someone to be able to experience a community of people where there are no divisions being created in our text messages, in our emails back and forth, in our conversations with each other. How should we be different? I think the, the, the first place, at least the first place that comes to my mind, where, we, where it's maybe the most difficult to be different, yet it's where it begins, and that is at home. It's in the private places. Uh, about a year ago or so, or within the past year, Jess and I have had the opportunity to uh, invite people to live with us in our house. And we've had three people. We have uh, two currently living with us. And one of the um, things that we were actually excited about, this is the very reason we at one time didn't want people to live with us, because they would see that we were hypocrites. We were excited though this time around, we were excited to have this opportunity for people to come into our home, which would give us the, the, the opportunity to know for sure whether or not we're getting this kind of stuff. See, if... If at home we are vile, the way we talk to our spouse or our children or our parents or our brothers and sisters or our, our friends who might live with us, our roommate, whoever it is that's closest to you, with those people, if we are vile to them, we have to question whether or not the Spirit of God even exists in us. And so then, Justin and I had this opportunity to, to, to find out, like, do we, do we really get it? Let's, let's have somebody live with us. And let's let this be a, uh, a test for us to see if we really get it. Because I, the way I think is if someone can live with us, and after a year, they can sit down, and we can, and we can pray with them, and we can shepherd them, then that, I think that says something highly. If, somebody, if you can have someone come into your home, and after a year, they, they look at you as a spiritual leader still, that's, that's, that's where it begins, all right? It begins at home. If we want to be countercultural in the world, in the way that we use the, this, this thing called speech, then it has to begin in the private places of our lives. And then I think the next place that it goes is sort of in this communication, emailing, text messages, Facebook. It is what is so disastrous about emailing, text, mess text messaging, Facebook, and I'm, I'm a big fan of all of those things. I mean, I use them. 
But the danger is this, is it is so easy when you don't have to look at somebody in the face, when you don't have to sit across the table from them and, and say something challenging to them, it is so easy to take your fingers and spout off an email. Tell them how you really feel. It's cow it, it, you're, you're a coward, actually, if, if that's... We, we, we tend to be cowards. I have seen so many fights come out of emails, come out of text, text messages. Personally, one of the, a couple of years ago, I made it my own personal standard that I, I will not argue in an email. If you send me something that's going to make me uh, get defensive, if I, if I get the sense of being defensive at all from your email, I won't write you back. I'll call you. And I'll try to sit down one-on-one -on -one with you. And some of you know that, right? It's pointless to go back and forth and to, and to create these wars because we're not, we're not thinking about it, you know? And text messaging, oh my gosh. I, I, didn't, I knew a couple that broke up over a text. Like, they were engaged. They called off the engagement because of a text messaging fight. <laughs> I mean, this is our world, right? Or Facebook statuses. Could, let me say this. I want to implore you as my brothers and sisters in Christ, think about your statuses before you write them. Please. You are representing Jesus Christ. On one hand, you, on one hand, you, you are claiming this relationship with the creator of the world, this pure, beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ. You are claiming to be a regenerate follower of his. And for some of you, your, your, stati your, your religion says Christian, all right? And it's so easy to not think about what we're publicly putting out there as our testimony of who Jesus is. And we casually throw things out there into the world, in, in, into the, uh, the, the Facebookosphere. <laughs> Just made that word up. That do not point to Jesus. And they do not, uh, um, they are not a testament to your own uh, relationship with Jesus. They're words. We, we can't forget how powerful these words are. And we need to be countercultural in the way that we use words. It's what James is calling us to. Our church family, as, as, as a church, um, like, I, like I asked earlier, can an unbeliever walk into this, to this place on a Sunday morning at a re, in, in this rec center or into your house community or in any gathering you're going to do with people in the church? Can an unbeliever walk in and, and listen to the conversations that are, that are taking place, the way that we interact with each other, the words that we use? Would they, would they come in and the, would they listen and would they say, wow, these people are peacemakers, this is a place that's completely different. This is a, this is a place where you can, you can go and just through interacting, through the conversations that you'll have, you're going to be built up as a, as a person, as a follower of Christ. Or would they come in and would they hear, would they listen, and would they say there's nothing different there than anywhere else in my world? It's unremarkable. Absolutely unremarkable. Or maybe going back to those of us who lean toward hypocrisy. We, 
when you, when you come to something like a church gathering or you're in public, you speak very well. You always have the right thing to say. You've got the knowledge. You can point out a scripture. All right. With your email, you, you, you email very nicely. Um, you uh, give scripture references in almost every one of your emails, right? <laughs> Yet you know that there is darkness in your life. There is a vile attitude in your life. Your life is, is destructive. And you know that you are a fraud. And that if, you're, if the real you were to, were to come out, that, that every word you've ever said would be so destructive because they would make a mockery of who Jesus is. Now, lest I use empty words, let me be clear. Our, our words will never be good enough. All right? We are striving to bridle the tongue. We are to be a, a countercultural community and we are to recognize that our words will never be good enough. In my journal a couple years ago, I was uh, having so, somewhat of a, a personal spiritual retreat and I took my journal with me and and I was feeling a little melancholy for some reason. I, I just had this sort of, God was doing something in my, in my heart and pointing out some things in my life. And I just began to write confessions in my journal. And not, not confessions of things that had just happened, but just my entire life. Like I, I was contemplating my life. And I think I was reading St. Augustine at the time. And, and his, his uh, confessions of his life inspired me and I began to in my journal just confess my sins uh, that, that I, I think sins that I, that I carried I still was carrying guilt um, because and almost every one of them had to do with words with the way I spoke to someone how could I have spoken to my sister in that way? How could I have made my younger brother feel uh, like such a, a loser? How could I have spoken words to my older brother as a child that were so demeaning to him? How could I have spoken to my parents like that and told my parents that I don't love them? How could I have spoken to my wife in that way and made her feel miserable or ugly or whatever that might be? How can I do these things? And it's, it's easy to look at something like that and say, you know, somebody's confessing because of words that they, you know, mean things that they said to someone. It's easy to look at these, these things and, and say, well, that's, that's just childish. Those are just childish words. You know, I mean, that, that's not that bad. You know, we, I, was, I was angry. I said some things. But if you're like me and you, and you, you, see, you see how words, how dis, the destructive nature of words truly do play out in someone's life. From the cycle of birth, it, it, it changes the course of their life. I knew a girl who was anorexic in college. She became anorexic 
after she went home for, for Christmas and her dad told her that she had put on a couple pounds that semester. He, he didn't mean anything by it. Turned into, into anorexia. And we, we see this played out in our lives. We can see this in subtle ways with people that, that we love. We can look at loved ones and we can see how our words have been destructive in their lives. I, I truly believe I can... I could talk to you about some of the issues that my siblings have and that my wife has and that my kids will probably one day have. And I can tell you where I believe I played a huge role in those issues, in those struggles, because of the things that I said. And when we think of it this way, and if you're like me, you, you think of the people that you love most and how you have destroyed them. You have created wars within them. You have changed the course of their history. You set them on fire, not with the fire of God, but with the fire of hell. And when we realize that and we, we see our guilt, it makes complete sense that we are worthy of hell. That God would be just and he would be right and he would be loving to forever send me to hell because of the lives that I've destroyed through the words that I've said. See, it's not until we understand our sin, the gravity of our sin, the nature of our sin, the destructive nature of our sin, that we can understand the cross. If it wasn't for grace, by his mercy, he saved us. You see, our words will never be good enough, but there was one who came and never misspoke. He never said something that he regretted that he had to take back. He never, he never destroyed a life through saying hate, hateful, hateful things. Yet, when Jesus went to the cross, the guilt that I have, that is rightly mine, for the destruction that I have caused because of my words, that guilt was placed on to Christ. And his words, the righteousness that were his words became mine and he made peace through his blood shed on the cross if we are going to talk about being peacemakers through our words we have to talk about the word the perfect word that became flesh and dwelt among us see I have peace with my family with my brothers and sisters I have peace with my parents I have peace with my wife and it's not because I have been perfect in my, with my tongue. It's because of the peacemaker. It's because he have, has absorbed that guilt. And he has united us. He has brought us into a new sense of peace. As we are a community who radically, counterculturally uses our words in a way that's different from the world around us. We, at, at the center of our words, 
must be verbal proclamations of this peacemaker. Pointing ourselves and the world around us to him who makes peace with his blood. Is there someone here, someone here who, who uh, cannot control his or her tongue? You, you could, if you were honest, you'd say, man, I'm, I'm destroying people in the way that I talk. I'm creating wars in people's lives. I'm, it's hard to think about, but it, it's possible that I'm actually shifting the direction of someone's life because of the way that I'm talking to them. I'm setting them on fire, not with the passion of God, but with the fires of hell. Is there someone here who speaks goodness and knowledge? You've always got wisdom, biblical wisdom to show off. Yet your life is vile. Your life is dark. You're a hypocrite. Is there anyone here who is filled with the guilt and pain that you carry with you from from words that were misspoken. That, that, that were either misspoken to you or that you misspoke to someone else and you can never take them back. See, the, at, at the core, at the, the answer to each one of our problems, the answer is the cross. It is the word, the perfect word who became flesh, who lived a life on your behalf that you could never live, who spoke the words perfectly that you could never speak. It is through his righteousness, not your own, that you find peace. You see, I, I, could probably, I could probably sit up here in a stool and for the next 45 minutes tell you stories of my childhood and things that people said to me that, that destroyed me, that put me on trajectories, that took me all sorts of places. And then I could probably talk for another 45 minutes or an hour or more about the, the, the Word of God, the very Word of God as it's spoken to me, as it's spoken over me, and as I understand more and more what the cross of Jesus Christ means, how that has washed away that, that pain. It has washed away the guilt. Amen.